Job chapter number 1. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 6. The Word of God says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And then Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now turn over a page or two over to chapter number 2. And I'd like to read a few verses out of chapter number 2 before we pray. Verse number 1 of chapter 2, the Bible says, Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God, and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him, to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, it is in thine hand, but save his life. So, Satan, so went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word this evening. I pray that you'd give clarity to my thoughts and words, and I pray that, Lord, you would give understanding to our hearts and minds. Lord, that tonight your uh, illuminated, revealed Word might speak to us. Lord, that you might do in us that which would bring you the most glory, and that we might find ourselves in a surrendered, submitted attitude under the working of your Spirit. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I have three simple truths that I want us to consider this evening. And I was having a conversation with someone the other day about the book of Job. The book of Job is uh, one of the most fascinating books, in my mind, to me personally, in the entire Word of God. There is no other example in the Old Testament from this far back in which we find a narrative taking place. Uh, you say, well, preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, you'll find times when Abraham had conversations with people, and you'll find times when Noah uh, had some conversations with people. But nowhere else in the Word of God, uh, this far back, do we have a long discourse taking place between several individuals on what life was and how they viewed life and how they viewed God and how they viewed the things that happened to them in life. And you get some understanding throughout the book of Job about some of the ways we can be a help to someone that's going through some problems. Some of the ways that we hurt people that's going through problems. I, I've prayed before about doing an entire series out of the book of Job on how to not comfort people. Amen? 
Because when you look at the way that his friends behaved towards him, I, I believe that all of his friends meant well, but uh, there are some things we have a tendency to do when someone falls on hard times uh, that I believe does more damage than it does good. I think sometimes when somebody's going through some heartache and we try to tell them it's not as bad as they think it is, I think sometimes that just makes it worse. I think sometimes when someone's going through some heartache and difficulty, we try to turn on the flashlight of our morality and righteousness and shine it into the dark corners of their life and figure out what they did to make God so mad that this happened to them. I think sometimes that does more damage than it does good. And sometimes I think when we look at someone and say, well, there must be something wrong with you because my life's going okay, uh, I think that does more damage than it does good. Uh, but the thing that interests me the most, I think, of all of the little nuances and intricacies of the book of Job, is there are some things that you and I, inasmuch as we hold the Word of God, God's inspired Word, we have the canon, the record of Scripture, there are certain things that we know about Job's problems that according to the scriptural record, Job never knew about Job's problems. You see, we have a tendency sometimes to assume that Job had the book of Job. But the truth is that he didn't. Job's problems, if you were standing in Job's shoes, might look a little different than Job's problems do while we're sitting here and standing here in our shoes. And there are three things in particular that we know about Job's problems that Job himself did not know or the Bible does not tell us definitively that Job knew. And they give me encouragement tonight because I believe this. You see, I'm a child of God. I've been saved by God's grace. And uh, I believe Job was a child of God in as much I understand about the new birth and the Old Testament and all those things. But uh, there's no question that whenever Satan walked uh, into the presence of God, uh, God didn't take a, a, a second glance at, at claiming Job to be his own. He said, as thou considered my servant Job. And as such, there are some things about Job's circumstances that give me an encouragement. For this reason, there are things that I know about Job's problems that Job didn't know. And it leads me to believe there may be some things about my problems that I don't know and don't understand. You see, the truth is, if it's all up to what we can figure out, then our problems are a pretty discouraging matter. Because I'll go ahead and admit to you that there's a lot of times in my life that my problems just don't make any sense to me. I don't understand why what's happening is happening. And by, and by the way, I'm not claiming to, to be so righteous that I shouldn't have any problems either. I, I have plenty of problems that I make for myself. But I, I'm saying this, that there's times when the things that happen to us in life just don't seem to make a lot of sense. I mean, you see people, godly people, raise their families in church, raise their kids in church, do everything they know to do right. And then all of a sudden, they've got a young person, a, a child that's way out in the middle of nowhere in the far country. That don't make a lot of sense. Sometimes you'll see uh, folks that uh, they're doing everything they can to, to make their marriage what it needs to be. And they believe that they're doing what they need to. And uh, it just seems like the devil has uh, got a key to the front door of their house. And uh, every so often he just walks in and waltzes through and wreaks havoc in their marriage. Uh, sometimes our problems sort of make sense, but more often than not, there are things that don't make sense. And so when I consider these three things, it encourages me that there may be some of these things in my life that I can take encouragement in. Now, we read in chapters number 1 and chapters number 2, and what we read was the scene that takes place between the Lord and Satan. Now, I'm not going to read all of it, but I, I want to look back in chapter number 1 and look at verse number 6 again. The Bible says, Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? 
Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Let me say, number one, that we know about the scene in heaven concerning Job's problems. And Job never knew a thing about this. Now, I don't know if God somehow revealed it to Job at some later time in his life. Evidently, someone related it to whoever pinned down uh, the book of Job. Although, I'd say this, the Holy Ghost wouldn't have no problem revealing that to someone if he so chose to do. But we have no reason to believe, according to scriptural record, that Job ever learned about this conversation that took place in heaven between God and Satan concerning Job and concerning the difficulties and trials in his life. Now, here's what I want to say to you about this tonight. There's an entire spiritual warfare that hovers around our lives that involves us, that involves you, that involves me. And oftentimes, I realize there is a scriptural mandate that we're not to be ignorant of the wiles of the devil. I understand that we are to uh, uh, do, uh, be, uh, not be ignorant of his devices and we're to know something about spiritual warfare. I know that we're to be sober and to be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But what I am saying is this, and by the way, I believe Job had some understanding of that, some understanding that God was working in his life, but that Satan sought to work in his life as well. But he did not understand the nuances of what was taking place, why he was going through what he was going through, how God was getting glory out of it, how God was changing his life, how God was thwarting Satan's will and influence in his life. Job never understood that God was fighting a battle on his behalf and working in his life, all behind the scenes of what his human mind could perceive and understand. You know, you go through the book of Job, and time and again Job talks about how he wishes he could just get in the presence of God. Talks about how he wishes he could make an appointment with the Lord and plead his cause and plead his case and talk to the Lord and find out what was going on. Now, we know that uh, Job does finally get an appointment with God. He gets to speak to the Lord, although Job never did get to state his case before the Lord. He didn't have to state his case because the Lord already knew what was going on the entire time. And you and I sit here on this side of it, and we can see that all the while God was getting glory out of Job's life, and Job, to our understanding, never did see how that God got glory out of his situation i got news for you. Two things. One, there's a purpose for everything you go through. And two, it is not your divine right to always know and understand what that purpose is. There are going to be times in your life you're going to go through things that you're never going to understand. There are times in your life that you're going to go through things. Listen, this is a faith thing. It's amazing to me how many of us as Christians, I'm talking about people of faith, get all bent out of shape when God asks us to walk by faith. It's amazing how we have this innate 
desire to... And I understand it's human nature to always want to understand what's going on. I understand that. But you'd think we would have learned at this point that if this thing is a life of faith and a walk of faith and we walk by faith and not by sight, and without faith it's impossible to please God. Uh, he that uh, cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek. If we believe all these things then doesn't it stand to reason there's going to be some times that there's some things go on that we don't understand that we just have to accept by faith. Uh, we're going to have to... It's not always going to make sense. Uh, as a pastor, there are times when people like to play gotcha. <laughs> and it happens all the time. In fact, I just had someone ask me recently. We, we've had a lot of, of deaths around and everything. And I had someone ask me. They said, Brother Toby, have you ever wondered why God allowed Adam to sin in the garden? Why doesn't God just keep us... Didn't He keep us in heaven? Or why didn't God just keep us in the garden? Why did He allow us to go through all these things? And I spent some time talking to this individual. By the way, there is an answer to that. Amen? We know God in a greater way than Adam ever did. We've experienced the grace of God. I, I gave this illustration as I was explaining it to this individual. You know, I, I know my parents loved me. Uh, there are some things about me that are lovable. Amen? But, amen? Amen! I want to hear it tonight. And there are some things about me that are lovable, but it's not the things that are so lovable about me that express to me the love that my parents have towards me. It's the, the qualities about me that are unlovable and they love me in spite of. And the same thing is true with our relationship with God. Listen, it, it'd be a great thing for God to love a perfect person. Uh, you know, but the Bible says that God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so there is an answer to that. But that's one of a thousand questions that I get on a fairly regular basis. And there, it seems like there's this thing with preachers where, you know, it's like they want to stump you, you know. They want to ask you. They want to see if you've got an answer. See if you can figure it out. i got news for you. This Bible has every answer that we need. But there are some answers we don't need. And God is in control whether we understand it or not. There was an entire warfare taking place around them. And the truth is, with what you're going through, whatever it might be, you'll maybe never understand the glory that God is getting. And I'm not talking about glory in, in this life and in this world. I'm talking about even glory that God's getting around His throne right now as His grace is effectual in your life and He's making Himself mighty and making Himself manifest and present in your life. You'll never know maybe how that the, the forces of evil and the will of Satan is being thwarted by the trial and suffering that you're going through. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this later on in the message. But imagine how many times Satan has tried to walk up to a saint of God and say, your suffering means nothing. And they've been able to open the book of Job and said, oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Job was unaware of this. He did not know, nor could he know, that this contest, this divine showdown uh, in the spiritual realm and, of, and of, of spiritual proportions was taking place. And I trust when I go through something that God's got a plan and He's getting glory out of it. I don't know. I, I can't see all the time. I can't understand all the time. But if my situation is anything like Job's situation, then it stands to reason that even though I may not be able to understand or see it, that God has still got a plan because Job couldn't understand it. But God still had a plan. God still had a plan. I would say that the scene in heaven is one of the things that we know about that Job probably never knew about. Now, turn all the way to the end of this book, over to chapter 42. I want to give you a second thing. Job chapter number 42. Now, a lot has happened between what we read a few moments ago and where we find ourselves now. 
We know that Job's friends show up. They try to help him. They try to comfort him. They do no good at that. And uh, we know that God eventually shows up. And God starts to give Job some answers he didn't ask for. I've found that oftentimes the answers I need are the ones I'm not even looking for. And God begins to make Himself known to Job. And by the way, you know, God never really speaks to Job's situation. He never really does. God doesn't spend time talking about Job. God spends time talking about Himself. Because the truth is, when we need comfort and help, when our life is falling apart, empathy's good. I'm glad we've got somebody who can empathize with us. I'm glad we have not in high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Amen? But oftentimes what we need, as far as emotionally, is we need to understand just how in control God is, even though everything else looks out of control. We need to understand that there's never been a day when God woke up late to, to the task at hand. There's never been a time when God said, I just don't feel like it. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, let me give you a little scripture that will back that up. The Bible says uh, that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights uh, without, with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning. No variableness, neither shadow of turning. Uh, That means God never just wakes up and decides He ain't going to be faithful. God's always faithful, all the time. And so the more we understand about God in the midst of our trials, the more we'll uh, be comforted. We may not understand more about our situation, but again, just as we're talking about tonight, understanding our situation is not always the solution to our situation. And the sooner we get that through our head, the sooner we'll focus on what really matters, which is seeing what God is doing through what we're going through, as opposed to trying to just figure out a way out of it. I think the scene in heaven is one of the things. Now, look at chapter number 42, look at verse 10. The Bible says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Let me say that I believe that there is some scriptural evidence to suggest this that Job never really did know the solution to his heartache that he was going through. Now, just with me for a few moments, let's use our imagination. Is that all right? I know we're not supposed to do that today, but you imagine what is going on. I do not know how much time passed from when God showed up and talked to Job till this point. But, but I, would, I would probably say this. If, if uh, the scriptural record is just to be read at face value and received as it is, and I believe that's what we ought to do, we have no reason to believe that a long period of time passed between when, when God shows up and starts talking to Job uh, in uh, the latter part of the book of Job, down in uh, verse number 38, he shows up and starts talking to Job and explaining things to Job. And when Job goes out and prays for his friends and offers sacrifice to, for his friends, And so here's how the scene looked to Job. Job's life is in pieces. His world is a mess. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's got his friends trying to fix it for him and just making things worse. All of a sudden, God shows up and starts talking to him and showing Job how that he may not understand what's going on, but he don't have to because God knows what's going on. And then God says to his friends, says, uh, go out and get sacrifices, have Job pray for you. Uh, Job goes out, goes to the altar and prays for his friends. And then all of a sudden, everything changes in his life. One might think this, that Job's problems changed when God showed up. Although Scripture tells us that that's not when things change. Like that, amen? That's why we got all this stuff up here, so I can get mad and knock something over, amen? The Bible does not say things change when God showed up. The Bible does not say things change when God spoke. The Bible does not say that things change when Job understood what was going on. 
And the Bible does not even say things changed when Job's friends and neighbors and everybody started coming and showering him with gifts. The Bible says things changed when Job prayed for his friends. In other words, in the midst of everything, Job, to our understanding, may have never known that it was his intercessory prayer for his friends that turned his captivity and changed his situation. It wasn't when Job was praying for himself that things changed. It was when Job started to pray for other folks that things changed. Here's the thing that we need to understand about our situation. Is that even when it doesn't seem like our prayers are getting answered, our prayers are getting answered. It may not be getting answered in ways that we think it should or ways that we would plan for it to. But God hears and answers every prayer of His children. Sometimes prayer, I would say all the time, prayer is a mysterious thing. There's more that I don't understand about prayer than there is that I do understand about prayer. But of the small list of things I do understand about prayer, I do understand this, that God beckons us, begs us, and in some ways bribes us into the prayer closet so that we'll pray. God is so interested in prayer that if we won't go to our knees, He'll drive us to our knees. That's how interested God is in prayer. Prayer, God is a sovereign God. Sovereignty is not a bad word. Amen? Uh, The Calvinists have tried to hijack that word sovereign. But God is a sovereign God. Amen? And uh, sovereign means that God's going to do just exactly what He chooses to do. Amen? And so there's no question God is a sovereign God. Well, how does the free will of man and how does the prayer life interact with God's sovereignty. God's in control, and God's going to do what He wants. Nobody can make God do anything. Then why does the Bible say the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much? Well, I'm just going to simply say this, that uh, prayer is the means of God's sovereignty. Prayer is the machine that moves the wheels of God's action and sovereignty. It's not that we are enslaving the will of God through our prayer life. It's that we are enabling the will of God through our prayer life. God has chosen to use prayer in the life of His people that they might be bolstered in their faith and that He might receive glory through His workings. The fact is, we aren't always going to understand what's going on. We pray and ask God to intervene. Uh, Job had spent uh, about 37 chapters complaining And to some degree, praying. Now, I understand that it wasn't necessarily prayer like maybe it should have been. But for 30... I mean, the psalmist said, I pour out my complaint unto the Lord. And for 37 chapters, Job had done that. He had been begging and praying. He had been desiring to understand something of what was going on. But it was when he started to pray for his friends that God began to work and to move. Here's what we learned, that God answered the prayer of Job, but He did so in a way that would shape Job to be something more to God's glory and to God's liking. You've heard people say things like this, prayer does a lot more to change us than it does change God. I would agree with that. God doesn't need changing, although prayer does change things. But we never need to dismiss this truth and this fact that God can do anything that He wants to, whether we pray about it or not. He's chosen for us to pray so that He might receive glory, so that we might be changed. We're not always going to understand what's going on with our prayer life. We're not always going to understand why God answers the way He answers and why God answers when He answers. 
But I look at Job's life and say this, that Job, when he begged God that he might know something of what was going on, that he might be delivered, that his situation might be changed, God did it in an unusual way. But amidst all the various things that work to God's glory and to Job's benefit at the end of his life, my Bible tells me it was when Job prayed for his friends that changed things. It gives me confidence that even when it feels like my prayers aren't being answered, my prayers are being answered. This thing of prayer is not a feeling thing. It's a faith thing. You're not always going to feel like you've just been hooked up to glory every time you pray. You're not always going to feel like you've grabbed hold of the horns of the altar and been drawn into the Holy of Holies every time you bow your head. But this thing's not a thing of feeling. It's a thing of faith. And if I can look at Job's life and understand that it was Job's prayer that changed his situation, then that gives me confidence that even though there might be a lot of things God is doing and using and working in my life, it is prayer that God has chosen to move the wheels of His sovereignty. And prayer is an effectual thing. Let me give you one final thing and I'm done tonight. Look at the end of this verse, verse number 10. The Bible says, The Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now, I believe Job knew before he ended his life that he had twice as much as he had before. But here's the point that I want to make for you. I believe that Job never knew about the scene in heaven, but we do. And I believe Job never really knew what the solution to his heartache was. He knew God had changed his situation, but you and I, we know it was when he prayed for his friends. But I would say this in closing, that Job never knew what a source of help his suffering would be to untold Millions of people. But you and I do. Like we already said, Job never had the book of Job. But where would you and I be without it? Where would we be without being able to go and see that when the godly suffers, there is reason for it. There is a purpose in it. And what Job went through served as an example to millions of people in the midst of a dark night and an ugly situation. That even when we can't find God, He's still there. And even when nothing makes sense, God's still in control. God's still in control. Here's the thing you'll probably never know and understand about what you're going through. Is how God's going to use that in the lives of others. To bring them comfort and help and to bring Him glory. There are certain things that I have been through in life that I believe with my whole heart I have been through for the sole purpose that I might console and comfort other people. I knew that early on. This is going to sound strange to you when we say this, when I say this. But, um, of course, most of you that have been going to church here any amount of time have known me and my wife for a while. You know that we had miscarriage before we had Lawrence. It was strange when we talked about it afterwards because, and I, I, I mean this sincerely. Now, you can think this is just foolish and nonsense and hokey if you want to. But after we experienced that, we both told each other, and we were both in accord with this, that we kind of had a feeling before that ever happened we might have to go through something like that. You don't have to believe that if you don't want to, but I believe it with every fiber of my being. We understood when we was coming into ministry that part of the things that we'd have to do would be to bear one another's burdens. And that there are some things you can't help people with if you haven't been through it. 
And if you don't believe that, look at the Lord Jesus. The Bible says that uh, though he were a son, yet learned the obedience through the things which he suffered. And the Bible says that uh, through suffering he made the captain of our salvation perfect. Well, what does that mean? That doesn't mean morally perfect. That means uh, perfect in an exemplary sense. Uh, he, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Why? So that we might come with confidence, that we might have a high priest we can have confidence in. So there's something to be said for empathy, and there's something to be said for knowing what someone's going through. We have seen since that happened in our life multitudes of occasions in which we've been able to look at somebody and say, I know what you're going through, and mean it. That's one example but there's probably things in my life that God has done that I still don't understand. But God has used those things in the lives of others to give them encouragement, hope, and strength at times when they desperately needed it. And here's the thing. I'm a pastor. I understand that I'm a preacher. But that's true for your life and your sufferings and your trials as well. You never know who's watching you. <laughs> you think Job figured we'd be sitting here tonight preaching from a book that bears his name about things that he himself didn't even understand. But here we are. And you'll never probably know on this side of glory the way that God uses your trials and difficulties to minister to the lives of others and to help the lives of others. Paul talked about that, about uh, being a consolation for people and comforting people, that the God of all comfort would use them and what they've been through so that he might be a comfort to other people around them. You don't have to understand everything that you're going through. God does. And I don't say that to, to be cynical about the desire to understand. I, I, listen, I want, I want to understand what I'm going through. You want to understand what you're going through. But I do say that to say this, that even if you don't understand what you're going through, that's okay. Because God does. And trust this. That though you may not be able to fully comprehend the spiritual warfare that's around you, if you'll continue to keep your faith in God and to walk straight and to follow Him and to be faithful and to do as He'd have you to do, then God will get glory out of your life and out of your sufferings. Uh, even though you may not understand what it feels like is the magical key to, to turn the captivity, I will say this. Even when you don't feel like your prayers are getting answered, your prayers are getting answered. So keep praying even when you don't know what to pray or how to pray or why you're praying. Keep praying. You say, what do I do when I don't know how to pray? Well, the Spirit itself maketh intercession. Helpeth our infirmities when we know not what we ought to pray. Uh, your prayer doesn't have to be perfect. The Spirit of God will take it and make it fit for the ears of, of the Lord. And listen, when you can't find any sense to what you're going through, take encouragement in this, that there's people watching you and seeing God work in your life and saying to themselves, if God can work in their life, God can work in my life. Take encouragement in these truths. 